What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 117 of Roto Sauce. I am Greg Sauce, your host, and coming back for another installment of the Gridiron Throne is the great Jeff Dumont, first of his name, uh, Lord <laughs> of the Hot Takes and the Trash Talk. I, I, I don't really know what your titles are. Maybe you can yeah. help me out with those. What do you think, Jeff? I love it, man. I love it. Bring it on. Thanks for having me. So, uh, as we did on the last show that Jeff joined us, we are going to talk just straight fantasy football up front, and then uh, after that, we're going to pivot into Game of Thrones, and there will be a little bridge where we kind of merge the the GOT and the NFL talk together, but with that in mind, if you do not care about Game of Thrones, just check out the football stuff up front, and then, you know, you can check out, and uh, thanks for listening, but... um, as is now tradition, I will crack my uh, can of <laughs> ale for the show. Today, I'm visiting the Summer Isles, uh, the, the Kona Brewing, Brewing Company's Big Wave Golden Ale. So another gold one here. Maybe I'm just the Lannister Homer. I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah, I think so, man. I think so. It, it, uh, anything's better than what's uh, what's north of the wall, <laughs> what, what they drink in Castle Black. Yeah, I mean, piss. you see the reactions to characters <laughs> drinking that piss, and, y- yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, it kind of speaks for itself. But um, yeah. enough GOT. We're saving that for later. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the draft, and not necessarily about rookies that are coming into the league, but about the veterans that those rookies are going to be impacting. And so I want to start by discussing which veteran players – you think might be displaced on their depth charts or otherwise lose fantasy value somehow based upon the players that their teams draft. So, you know, the obvious ones would be like if a team drafts a running back, like the other running backs on that team might be in line for fewer carries. But um, we want to go through this position by position. I want to start with quarterback. Which QBs do you think are likely to lose value in the draft? Yeah, at quarterback, it looks like in, at least in round round in the first two rounds, uh, there there might be about four quarterbacks that are taken. So I'm thinking guys like Eli Manning, Eli Case Keenum. I got uh, Dalton and Fitzpatrick. Uh, I mean, I don't know what's gonna happen. I think uh, I, I mean Mur- Murray's gonna get taken uh, probably number one overall, whether it's Arizona or Oakland trade um, trades up. So the Derek Carr might be on the hot seat. Yep, I'm with you. I had Keenum, uh, I had Dalton, I had Derek Carr, and I had Joe Flacco. And probably the most worried about Keenum, just because not only could Washington draft a guy, they could also trade for Rosen, as has been rumored. We talked about that in the last episode. I think Dalton is the the sneaky one who's on the hot seat here, because it's hard to say that Dalton's done anything wrong. He's just kind of been mediocre and in a bad situation for a really long time, but that's kind of how this stuff happens. You know, it's like a guy stops getting it done and then he's out of there. I mean, that's what happened to Joe Flacco and hopefully Denver isn't pinning too much of their hopes on Flacco. I think that Denver is also really likely to draft a QB, but I think those are probably the key guys. I mean, Eli Manning is one of those ones that's almost too obvious. Although I wonder based upon the way the giants have kind of positioned themselves, like, do you think that whoever the giants get at quarterback is going to start over Eli in year one? Cause I'm not sure I see that. No, I don't think so. Um, I think Eli will at least start the first eight weeks or so. It depends on how well they're doing. Saquon Barkley's going to win them several games all by himself. But um, no, I think yeah, Eli. I mean, he's such a legend. He's going to the Hall of Fame. They're gonna they're gonna keep him in there until they're mathematically eliminated for the playoffs. So I'd say at least the first eight weeks, even if they do take him at number four or number five overall, whoever they have. So what do you think about the other guys then? How about Dalton? Like, if they draft a QB, I don't remember where Cincinnati is drafting. Actually, hold on. I'm going to pull that up real quick. I, I think it's around number 12. I, it's like the, the Drew Locke territory. So, yeah, if they're drafting at number 12, and let's say Locke and maybe even Dwayne Haskins are both available, they take one of those guys, 
is Eli or is Dalton immediately out of the starting role there, you think? Or is this another situation where you think they give Dalton a little bit of leash while the rookie comes along? That's that's another leash thing. I think the only quarterback that has a chance to start in week one is Murray, uh, especially if he's number one overall. Uh, I mean, even Baker Mayfield didn't start till I think, week three or week four. <laughs> it, it was a little bit. I, I think uh, Cleveland messed up there. But, but that was the wrong decision, right? And so if – Yeah. I mean, you have to think that the way that the Cardinals are moving, right, where they bring in you know a, a forward-looking coach – and they are willing to kind of throw away the Rosen pick and go ahead with this like new school quarterback in Murray. I think that he has to start in week one, right? And if for some reason he slips to number two, like if we've just been fed a bunch of misinformation and Murray goes to the Raiders, someone trades up or whatever uh, with San Francisco, I don't see any team doing that and not starting him. So I agree that like wherever he goes, he's going to be the guy if he goes that high. Now, if he slips down to QB9 and ends up going to Cincinnati, then maybe that tells us a little bit more about what the NFL really thinks of Kyler Murray. And if that's the case, then maybe we don't see him start right away. But I don't know, man. I, I would be curious to see if some of these other teams, if they are drafting a QB in the top 10 or top 12, that is a statement, right? And I would expect whichever veterans are on those teams to be displaced. Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it seems like Dalton's been on the hot seat for several years. I mean, he's the epitome of mediocre. So I could see if they get someone like Daniel Jones. It, it seems like Jones get a lot of uh, a lot of hype, a lot of uh, a lot of inflation. Uh, he might go at the top ten. So um, yeah, I could see er- earlier and earlier these rookie quarterbacks might be able to get chances because the NFL is turning into more of a college football type of offensive system. So these college quarterbacks are more ready than they used to be. Okay, let's go to running back next. Where do you think the rookies are going to land? Which teams are likely to draft running backs and displace the incumbents? Uh, One team I really think is going to draft a quarter, uh, I mean, running back much earlier than people expect is Atlanta. I think uh, they just lost Tevin Coleman. Uh, Edo Smith isn't very good, but specifically Devontae Freeman, he's aging, he's injury prone. I think a rookie is going to come in there. I think Freeman is a big bust right now. He's only 27, but he's got a big contract. They're going to want to get out of that contract pretty soon. Yeah, he's very violent running style. And uh, I, I think a, a rookie, a hotshot rookie, probably the Alabama guy, is probably going to come in. And uh, I've seen him right away. Yeah, they were definitely on my list. I think you have to consider them a potential landing spot for running back. I think there are a couple other really obvious ones. I think Oakland, I mean, Oakland's just so bad that like they could really draft anybody <laughs> anywhere. So Isaiah Crowell, Jalen Richard, like that is a situation where either of those guys could have no value in, you know, a month. Uh, the other obvious one to me is the Buccaneers with Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones. Jones was so yeah. bad last year. Peyton Barber is just a guy. It seems pretty clear that they're ready to make moves now and try to win. Like they want to be good. And I just don't see them being at the peak of their offensive powers with those two running backs in place. What do you think about those two teams? Like who do you see them uh, or how do you see that playing out for the Raiders and the Bucks? Yeah, you're right about the Raiders. They need help everywhere. You know, I mean, I could see them getting a third, fourth round running back and him just being in the mix. But um, I especially agree with Tampa Bay. Ronald Jones was a huge bust. It took him early in the second round last year. And in fantasy, he was at first in the early drafts. He's like a fourth, fourth or fifth round pick in 12 team leagues. And everyone's talking about his like four, three wheels. He was so fast and like, 
no, he just he doesn't know how to play the game, and uh, he's going to be out of the league pretty soon unless he uh, he really steps up a little more. So yeah, Tampa Bay is probably going to select another running back really early. Any other veteran running backs you're worried about going into the draft? I don't know. Uh, maybe some Lamar Miller. A lot of people still like Miller. They think he's underrated, but he's been around for so long and he's very mediocre. I mean, I could see Houston. I mean, they have such a dynamic offense. They're, they're going to want to bring somebody else in. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they just try to roll with Deonta Foreman or if Lamar or if they draft a guy. And I could see someone they draft displacing one or both of those running backs, depending upon the skill set of the guy they draft and where they draft that player. Like if they invest a lot of equity in a running back, it could be curtains for both Lamar Miller and Deonta Foreman. Uh, another one I'm worried about is Damian Williams. I know he's one of your favorites. Yeah. Uh, you drafted him in our <laughs> the, NFL yes. fantasy playoff league, and he, he carried you. He was awesome. The Omen. <laughs> Best nickname ever. I think he's really good. I think he's a really good fit for that team. But at the same time, now that Kareem Hunt's gone, you could see them potentially going after someone in the draft. And I don't think that that necessarily dooms Williams, but I think that it could cut into his workload and make him more of like a – third fourth round type player than a, a second third round player or something like that you know what I mean yeah definitely I mean Damian Williams he's bounced around the league a little bit he, he's just a little bit better than replacement level talent it's that system that he was in that really catapulted him in, into glory at the end of the season uh, for a lot of fantasy teams to win championships so I mean he's good he's a very good running back but he's not special like Kareem Hunt was and uh yeah they're definitely gonna probably get somebody else to add to that mix Okay, let's assume that KC doesn't draft a rookie running back, and we're looking at Houston and Oakland and Atlanta and Tampa Bay. Which one of those spots is the best landing spot for a rookie RB? Uh, I like Houston a lot. I mean, with uh, Watson one more year off of his ACL injury, uh, that offense could be one of the more, one of the best, one of the most elite offenses in the league. I mean, they already have Hopkins. They have you know Kiki QT. You know they're doing they're doing good if they have a dynamic uh, running back at, like in the mix with with all the other targets. I mean that's that's going to be fantasy gold. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. Like I actually think Atlanta's the best spot for a running back to be, just because that's the best offense. But at yeah. the same time, I think whoever goes there is going to have to compete harder and definitely split time with Freeman and with Edo Smith. Whereas I I agree with you, Houston is probably the best because, like I said, it doesn't seem far-fetched to me that a, a rookie running back could displace both Miller and Deonta Foreman. I think Tampa Bay is also sneaky, not so great. Like, you, you look at it on paper yeah. and you're like, oh, this is a pretty good offense, and there's not a whole lot of competition between Barber and Jones, but I just think they're going to want to throw the ball too much. I don't know how much a running back is really going to have to do in that offense, and for that reason, that might be why they don't invest heavily in the running back position. The, the last team that kind of jumps out to me as a curiosity, at least, for potential running backs uh, in the draft is the Philadelphia Eagles. They brought in Jordan Howard. They still have Corey Clement and uh, Josh Adams. What do you think about that offense? Because that's another one where I think even if they draft somebody, we know it's going to be a timeshare based upon the way they've used running backs. Do you agree with that? Or, or do you think that they could go to a bell cow if they get the right guy? Yeah, if they get the right guy, they could definitely go to uh, do a bell cow. That's one of the more elite offenses in the league, too. I mean, their coach is absolutely one of the best, Peterson. And, um, <laughs> yeah, all the guys that they have right now, I mean, they're just like Kansas City, a bunch of jags, you know? So if, if they can get somebody that has true talent in that offense and that quarterback, you know, those receivers, man, man, that's, that's an explosive uh, – that's a lot of potential for somebody that has true NFL talent if they can find somebody. 
Well, speaking of receivers, let's talk about wideouts next. Where do you see the potential losers at wide receiver? Which of these guys is going to get bumped for rookie talent? Uh, I think Golden Tate. Uh, that's a big one. They just signed him. No way. I know. I know. He's. I know. I know. A lot of people. They recognize the name. They realize Golden Tate's very good at fantasy. He's locked in 100 catches, right? I don't know, man. I think Sterling Shepard's the number one wide receiver there. They're going to a youth movement. They're going to more of a run-based offense. Manning is obviously on the decline. And if they don't have Manning, it's going to be one of these rookie quarterbacks. I don't like Tate at all. Uh, I mean, he's just—he's getting older, too. I mean, See, he, he runs like two-yard routes. He's yeah, but I think you're making two different arguments, man. You're saying that Golden Tate is a, is a bad value anyway, and I agree with yeah. that. Like, I don't want any part of Golden Tate. Like, I, he's a player yeah. that I've never really liked in fantasy. He just doesn't fit the profile of a guy that I would target. Um, I guess I just don't play enough PPR is what I would say. But right. even in, like, a half-point PPR, which you, you know that is our primary format. That's what our home yeah. leagues are and whatnot. But I don't think that he's necessarily going to get pushed out by some new receivers that they bring in. Like, I, I don't see that being the case. Like, when I think of, you know, the draft making someone lose value, like, I look at I look at Philip Dorsett in New England. Like, I just don't see them going into this season with him as their wide receiver, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Just signing Demarius Thomas was a huge pickup, too. I mean, he, he could be huge. <laughs> I, I mean, he's very good at, like, he's very... I don't know, he could have like a 14 touchdown season in him. You, you I don't mean, know. I mean, Tom, Demarius Thomas is literally huge. I don't yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I mean, he feels like the, the next Andre or the new Andre Johnson to me where, you know, a team brings him in thinking they're getting something special and he's just, he's just not there anymore. I, I don't, I don't see that signing working out, but maybe I'm wrong. I could yeah. definitely be wrong. It's, Get Demarius on that, uh, on that TB12 method. And you never know, man, he could be fine. It's all about concentration with that guy. All the talent in the world. I mean, he just loves concentrate. And in that New England offense, he'll be forced to concentrate or he's out. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's it. Like, I just don't – I just think physically he might not be the same guy anymore. I think that those big receivers don't tend to age super well. And yeah. that's why I'm worried about him more than anything else. Like, I don't I don't doubt his talent. And I don't ever want to say that he was a bad player. Like, he was a great NFL receiver. And I hope that it works out for him. I hope that he can get his career back on track in New England. But – at the same yeah. time, like I, I just think maybe time has passed him by. Uh, a couple other, true. couple other spots that jump out to me: the Washington receiving situation, Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson. I don't necessarily see those guys as being, you know, wide receiver ones and wide receiver twos going through the draft. You know what I mean? Like I have a feeling Washington's yeah. going to try to bring somebody in. It's hard to say though because they're probably in tanking mode based upon what happened with Alex Smith and their current quarterback situation. I, I could see them, you know, kind of tanking and, and not really worrying about putting a great offense on the field. And if that happens, then, you know, Doxson and Richardson could be fine. It, it's really hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's going to be a very bad team. I'm curious. I'm real curious with Geis. Darius Geis was was a, a real, real trendy pick going into the late uh, late draft season right before he tore his ACL last year. Had 12 full months to recover. Um, I mean, that, he is going to be the centerpiece to that offense. I mean, what, uh, no matter who the quarterback is. But, yeah, you're right. Dotson, Paul Richardson, uh, n- nothing special at all, both of them. A couple other ones I'll throw out there. I think the guys in Green Bay, the secondary guys behind Devontae Adams, might be at some risk. You know, Equinemius St. Brown, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jamon Moore. One of those guys will probably be fine, you know, as the you know mm-hmm. de facto wide receiver two and then perhaps ultimately wide receiver three. But I, I, I get this feeling that after everything that's kind of transpired with, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy saga, that big article that came out on Bleacher Report, like I could see the Packers really making an effort to 
build around Rodgers and try to make him as good as he possibly can be this year. And that's not to say that they, the front office wasn't doing that before, but I think that they're incentivized to make sure that the offense looks good this year and make sure that the team looks better. Like the optics are better without Mike McCarthy there. And I think that means probably bringing in at least one more weapon. I don't think they need the help on the running back side because Aaron Jones is amazing and they they definitely (laughs) should not draft another running back. Let Aaron Jones eat green Bay Packers, please. (laughs) But on the receiver side, I could see them trying to find somebody to supplement uh, St. Brown and Valdez Cantling and Jamon Moore. Um, another one, last couple I'll throw out, Chad Williams in Arizona just hasn't done anything to this point. And kind of similarly, they're going to want to put more talent around Kyler Murray or Josh Rosen or whoever. I could see them taking another receiver. And then the last two I'll throw out are the big-bodied guys in Indianapolis, uh, Devin Funches and, and Eric Ebron, who technically is a tight end, but uh, we'll, yeah. we'll include him in this discussion. I think... After Deion Kane got hurt last year, uh, not only is he coming back, but I have a feeling Indianapolis is probably going to look to add another receiver. I just don't think Funchess is very good in the first place. I think he's fine, but he's kind of replacement level big wide receiver. Like him and Ebron seem very redundant to me, I should say. And because they're going to eat into each other and because neither one of them is, you know, elite necessarily, if Indianapolis does bring in a wide receiver rookie and that player hits, then I could see Funches and Ebron uh, taking a really big value hit, um, especially, you know, if Kane can also come on. But I, I'm not holding my breath for that because he's coming off injury. Yeah, I, I agree there. I mean, that that offense is uh, is always going to be elite. And um, I, don't, I think it's going to be a more balanced offense. I think Marlon Mack's going to have a pretty good year, too. Yeah, Mack is probably the most intriguing guy in that offense to me, too. I, I am curious to see where T.Y. Hilton really ends up going in drafts like i'm looking at best ball adp right now he's at pick 27.9 in best ball tens so what is that third round early third round yeah that's pretty Uh, solid yeah that's (laughs) that could be a really good value but it could also be like just just right you know what i'm saying yeah yeah he was about there last year too in the best ball but ball tens he was early third round selection nfc he's 28 overall so he hasn't really changed very much, probably just because he's still very young in, in that offense. I think that's very good value. I, yeah. I think he, he's going to have a better year this year than he had last year. And because of the type of receiver he is, he's probably pumped up a little bit in ADP here, you know, for the best ball format. But I could see him maybe going a little bit later in quote-unquote regular drafts or seasonal drafts because that boom-bust potential maybe doesn't matter as much. But I don't know. He's still tied to Andrew Luck. I, I have a feeling mm-hmm. his ADP probably won't change much between formats, but... Love love T.Y. Hilton, but I think Marlon Mack is probably the, the sneaky source of points in that offense. I mean, do you think they could draft a running back, the Colts? I mean, we didn't really discuss them earlier, but I mean, Marlon Mack is pretty good, but he's not, you know, an elite talent necessarily either. I shouldn't say elite talent, but he's not an, a great all-around running back, and maybe they mm-hmm. try to find a guy like that. What do you think? I don't think so. I think with uh, Hines last year, uh, Naeem Hines, he, he's going to be the third down Duke Johnson type of running back. And, man, he's good at catching the ball. But Marlon Mack has really, really stepped up as, like, a workhorse bell cow guy. And he's always had the talent. He's always had all of the talent in the world. And uh, so, no, I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to beef up on the O-line a little bit more. It's all about protecting Andrew Luck for them. But, yeah, I think I think a little bit of O-line, I, I really can't see them taking any running backs. And if they do, it'll be around five, six, seven, right, range. Fair enough. Let's flip the script here. Let's talk about which players we think could gain value in draft. Like, I, I could only really come up with quarterbacks here, you know, teams that I yeah. assume are going to uh, draft some weapons to help these guys out. But the first one I'll start off with is kind of an offbeat one. And we talked about this last time is Josh Rosen. 
I just think his outlook will seem better if he is indeed traded and he ends up on another team. And if he isn't traded, I mean, that's that's a different story. But at this point, we kind of have to expect it. And wherever he goes, I think his value goes up relative to where it is right now. Because right now, no one's going to touch him, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's, he's in nowhere land in Arizona. People think he's not going to have a job right now. And uh, he deserves his own franchise. He has so much talent. Yeah, wherever he goes, they're going to give him a chance real quick. Who else you got on this list of guys who you think are going to gain value in the draft? Somebody I like, another quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Uh, when Lamar Jackson took over Baltimore last year, that was Joe Flacco's offense. It was an entire offense revolved around a pocket, slow quarterback you know, that has a cannon for an arm. He's the absolute opposite of Flacco. Their entire offseason is going to revolve around, around changing the offense just for uh, Lamar Jackson completely completely just rearranging everything so uh i think they're they're gonna beef up a lot of uh, like run game type of type of offensive linemen and uh yeah i've got aaron Rodgers on this list yeah i think like i talked about earlier green bay seems likely to add another offensive weapon and perhaps some help on the o-line i was looking at um danny kelly's latest mock draft on the ringer and he had Green Bay taking a tackle at number 12 overall. Like, if they do that and then pick up another wide receiver in a subsequent round, then I think that Rodgers, I mean, for what it's worth, could actually gain a little bit of value. Not that he's yeah. cheap or affordable at all in the first place, but uh, I think he fits the bill. Um, who else you got? Yeah, I, I like Rodgers, uh, too. If he's ever going to be undervalued, it's this year. He's going 55 overall. And, uh, I mean, he obviously has QB1 upside. I, I would... I would take a bet with uh, with Rodgers getting more fantasy points in the homes. So uh, another guy that could gain value for the draft. Um, we were just talking about Marlon Mack. He was on my list, obviously. They want to go into all protect luck mode. We were just talking about that. Uh, Sterling Shepard, I was just talking about that earlier, too. Um, I, I think Shepard is going to step up as that wide, number one wide out for, for, um, for the, the Giants. I hope you're right. Uh, last quarterback yeah. I have here is uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And I, I say I hope you're right on Sterling Shepard because I have him on a dynasty team. Um, but anyway, oh, uh, Big Ben, I would guess that the Steelers are also going to add a weapon kind of like the Packers, if only as like a PR move to offset the losses of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. I think yeah. that the Steelers have some pretty good weapons around Roethlisberger already, but I expect them to go out and get at least one more guy in the draft. And so I think that he could see uh, a slight uptick in value from where he's at right now, because I think maybe not consensus thinks that he's going to be bad based upon the loss of those weapons, but uh, you know, the public uh, in general, like uh, the less sharp uh, fantasy players might see that as like, Oh, I can't draft Ben Roethlisberger anymore. He doesn't have Antonio Brown. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like in the past 20 years, they've just been recycling wide receivers. It was Heinz Ward, Plaxico Burris, then it was like Santonio Holmes, and then it went like, it was Antonio Brown was like a fifth round pick. Now it's Juju, and they have Washington. They're going to take another guy, and that's just the way that they run. They'll take another guy in second, third, fourth round, and he's going to come in, step in right away, and be, uh, be very productive. Yeah, and if they do that, I guess James Washington would become another one of those wide receiver losers that we were talking about earlier. I think just in yeah. general, whichever ones of those running backs and wide receivers that we talked about before don't get squeezed into depth charts with freshly drafted rookies, those guys are also going to gain value. Like if Kansas City doesn't draft a running back, then Damian Williams kind of gets locked into that you know second, maybe third round value as a fantasy running back. Any other thoughts on potential value shifts coming into the or coming out of the draft uh, next week? Uh, no. All right. Well then, let's go to Game of Thrones, man. And we are going to keep this a little football tangential to start. Uh, I want to talk to you about which characters on Game of Thrones would best translate to involvement in the NFL. 
And originally when I proposed this, we planned on talking about players and coaches and general managers. But for this episode, we're just going to stick to players. And then on the next episode, we'll talk about which GOT characters would make the best coaches. And then on the subsequent one after that, we'll talk about general managers. So if you're listening to this, if you want to kind of join in the discussion, throw some ideas at us, uh, hit us up on Twitter, let us know uh, which Game of Thrones characters you think would make the best coaches, general managers, and even players. We can always go back to players after this episode. But uh, I'm going to start kind of just with some no-brainers off the top in terms of characters who might you know work in football uh how about just the the big burly folks you know the Kleganes, brian of tarth yeah. tormund giants bane this stuff's all pretty on the nose so i don't want to spend too much time on those folks who who do you have on your list uh, who i have gendry gendry man he ran for about four to five hours straight the guy <laughs> said he's he's never seen the snow ever in his entire life he's never been in the snow the dude has amazing lungs and endurance four hours straight going about 40 miles all the way from the the mountain the arrowhead mountain all the way to east lodge nonstop, fell down dead at the gate you know that guy is incredible if i were the bills if i if i were a northern team with the elements coming down that's your every down running back right there holy shit i mean yep. to speak about running back he was running back to the wall <laughs> give that guy 400 carries he'll be fine. oh yeah 500 carries eric dickerson's done <laughs> Move over, Barkley. <laughs> Giants have a better guy. <laughs> all right. Greatest nose tackle of all time. 1-1 one, one, yeah. the Giant. Yes. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> Just wrecking interior lines with, with I mean, great abandon. I mean, yeah. I, uh, Giants aren't really fair for this. Uh, so maybe we should stick yeah. to humans going forward. But with that said, perhaps the greatest O-line of all time. The Night's Watch in the tunnel from Watchers on the yeah. Wall that killed the Giant, held off the oh. Giant. I mean, they all died in the process. But, you know. What a great scene. Pretty good effort. Yeah, great effort, great effort. They took him down. They did their job while they were chanting the night, uh, the the night's watch uh, thing. It was amazing, man. When I did my full rewatch of the series leading up to this season, that was the first episode that I watched where I I reached like peak hype. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. this is how good this show can be. This is incredible. That that yeah. episode, one hundred percent battle scene is. Oh. I mean, not nothing tops that, or not nothing, yeah. but not much tops that with from this show, and it's a great yeah. show. So that that says something. Yeah. Um, that gives me the chills every time, man. I know it's I got so goosebumps good. just kind of thinking yeah. about it and talking about yeah. it. To be honest, it's, it's really weird. <laughs> so, um, or maybe it's maybe it's the golden ale. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> what else you got for my quarterback? Very tall, could see over his offensive line. The Hound, the Hound specifically because he nailed that skeleton white from about 60 yards away <laughs> nailed him in his face and then he called him a dumb punch that is jay cutler <laughs> nailed his guy and then his very next pass he missed horribly about 20 yards short that's jay cutler right there the hound is is jay cutler and, and he, he ruined everything the entire defense started converging on him afterwards because he's very bad <laughs> i spent some time trying to think of things that were similar to that like I, if we had ever seen a character in game of thrones kick something really far and I couldn't yeah. really think of anything specifically, but what I did come to realize is that if we ever needed to have like one of those psychically damaged kickers, you know, one of those guys who just misses everything, like that's Theon Greyjoy, right? Oh yeah, definitely. It was the Tampa Bay uh, uh, kicker from uh, last year, the first round pick <laughs> or second uh, Aguero. Yeah, oh yeah, he, he was psychologically Ro damaged. <laughs> Roberto Aguayo, the Theon Greyjoy of the NFL. Poor, yeah. poor bastard. <laughs> the Hound did have a good kick in that same episode when they, they captured that white and they tied him up and put him in that bag. He kicked them pretty good. 
<laughs> he might be a pretty good kicker too. Sticking on the <laughs> kicking theme, um, I think my punter is probably Littlefinger. Just one of those <laughs> characters who kicks the ball away, lives to fight another day, and just kind of whatever. We'll figure out how to win this game later. Let's just punt it, and then yeah. eventually he just gets cleaned out on a blind side at, at the end of season seven. Right, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Littlefinger's my punter. <laughs> he did not see that one coming. <laughs> I like, uh, but possibly Oberyn too. Oberyn Martell would be pretty good as maybe a wide receiver <laughs> doing a uh, little Tony Hawk uh, like flips in between. <laughs> so, so I have another wide receiver. This one has a drops problem. It's Jamie Lannister. Oh yeah! Oh man, he's got one strong hand at least. He, he doesn't have stone hands, but he has a gold hand. It's a gold hand, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put a little stick him on it, you know. Those gloves are pretty futuristic. I got a couple more. <laughs> uh, my swarming defense is uh, the Unsullied, perhaps with Grey Worm as like a player coach. Good, very disciplined. Yep, disciplined. <laughs> They're always in their gaps. Uh, not not the uh, you know the greatest on their own, but as a group they they get it done. And then the yeah. last thing I have isn't really a player. It's it's the Oakland Coliseum as the cursed castle of Harrenhal. <laughs> yeah, that's so perfect for Harrenhal. <laughs> it's on fire. It's in ruins. People still go there for some reason. A lot of bad stuff happens there. <laughs> it's it really is a hole. Like it, it, the black hole is a hole. Like it, it is. I mean, I've been there to see baseball games too, and it is. They really do need a new stadium in Oakland, and it's a shame they can't yeah. get it done. But uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, that's that's my dig at the the I mean, Oakland, uh, <laughs> the Oakland Coliseum. The Watching the Raiders is like having a box with a rat in it. Like, just give it to me. Just kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all I got. Uh, do you have any others that are coming off the top of your head here? Or should we move on? Yeah, we, we can move on. I, I like I like the mountain a lot. He would pretty much be unfair, though. <laughs> yeah, the mountain and Sandra Clegane, I think you could put anywhere on the field. And, you know, give them enough reps yeah, and they'll figure like, it out. Um, yeah, Aaron Donald. And, and listeners, as I said, if you have any other ideas, uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we're going to get to coaches next week. And the week after that, we'll do GMs. Uh, but let's talk about the season premiere, season eight, episode one. And we got to start with the beginning of the show, the new opening credits of Game of Thrones. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. I didn't think I could get as hyped up as I did about just some animated like castles springing up out of the ground. But it got me like really pumped up to see them revamp the opening credits. I thought that was really cool. What did you think? Yeah, it was amazing. I, I saw it right away with the everything being like the astrolabe whatever it's called it is a little darker it had uh like a red wedding scene it had like a targaryen scene it was great i loved i loved that like the path of the night king with the blue the the, the, the blue the floor. creepy ice yeah it's it like was, the yeah so cool and they showed the last hearth that was amazing going underneath the, uh, the crypts of winterfell amazing yeah we got to talk about that because it seems like them showing the crypts in the opening credits gives us further evidence that those crypts of Winterfell are critical to the show's plot, right? Like, what do you think is down there? Do the good guys need to release something from the crypts to defeat the Night King? Or could the crypts be maybe imprisoning something that the Night King wants to release? Like, what the hell's going on here? Like, there's importance there. It was in all the promos for the season. Like, we have to figure out what's going on in the crypts, and what better place to do it than on a podcast? Yeah, why the hell not? Lots of speculation here. So what we do know what's down in the crypts is a lot of dead bodies. and um, Dead so, Starks, and, primarily. D- dead Starks, yeah. Dead sp- uh, Stark kings and queens. Um, so, yeah, maybe the night the night king's going to come to Winterfell, and once he gets close to it, he's going to raise some. Who, who was Arya running from 
in 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 the teaser trailer uh in the crypts of winterfell she would she wouldn't be afraid of anybody she would not be afraid of any zombies or any bad guys she's been through some shit i think she was genuinely afraid of possibly seeing a loved one like her mom is is lady stoneheart gonna come <laughs> uh i mean i don't know i i think the night king might raise there might be some um uh night of the living dead stuff coming on you know we also know that Winterfell is built on like hot springs. Like there's some volcanic activity yep. underneath the castle, and is there some tie from that to like old Valyria, where they used to have a bunch of volcanoes, and where you know this they call it the doom, like this great explosion of a bunch of volcanoes killed basically all of the dragon lords except for the Targaryens. And I, I don't know, I could see something along those lines. Yeah, I like that. Uh, th- there's a theory that there is possibly a dragon underneath the underneath Winterfell because of those um, of those hot springs. I mean, Rhaegar could have been buried there. I mean, uh, who knows? Maybe Rhaegar and his harp is down there. If there could be a dragon, this isn't ever going to happen in the sh- in the show, possibly in the books. Yeah, we'll see. I I don't want to speculate too much more about it, but this is something that's yeah. going to be critical, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. Just in general, moving beyond the opening credits. Episode one was admittedly a little bit slow, kind of slow burn. And I, I expected that, you know, they're trying to set up everything that's going to happen over the next five episodes. Uh, we did get a lot of important stuff happen, of course. Uh, but what stood out to you? What were your biggest takeaways from the first episode? Oh, man. Uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, John and Arya's reunion was amazing. That was incredible. Uh, I love a lot of the parallels to season one, episode one, to season one of uh, season eight, episode one. It was great with the king coming into Winterfell. Sansa, just like just like Ned saying, Winterfell is yours to Danny, to, to King Robert. Uh, the very end of the kid going up. Jamie meeting Bran at the end. There was there was a lot of good stuff in it. I liked it. It was the last probably the last true Game of Thrones episode. A lot of uh, pieces moving around, a lot of reunions, a lot of talking. I think from here on out, it's gonna be a lot of action. So a couple things stood out to me when John rides the dragons for the first time. Like it was a little cheesy for me, but at the same yeah. time, like once they landed, we got a really interesting moment where John and Drogon the dragon. <laughs> You know, like so original made some stink eyes at each other. And I, what, what the hell's going on there, man? That was a really weird yeah. interaction to me. Yeah. That was interesting. Was, was that, was that the spirit of Khal Drogo? Uh, just staring like, Hey, that's my girl, you know, uh, lay off. <laughs> I can yeah. destroy you. <laughs> In our Slack channel, we also had somebody speculate that it was Bran looking at John as like warging yeah. through the dragon, which I, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. That seems a little far fetched to me. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Like, I'm curious. Are we going to get some sort of conflict there later this season? Like, are we going to yeah. see John have to square off with Drogon? Like, that doesn't seem right to me. But at the same time, like, it's a it's an interesting way to sow some character conflict in a, a state where really most of the conflict now is the North versus the Night King and then Cersei versus the North. Like, there isn't a whole yeah. lot going on internally between like the Starks and their allies to so descent. Like they're they're force feeding some of that stuff down our throats in terms of, oh well, you know, Danny and her outsiders aren't welcome in the North. And how's that gonna play out? Like ultimately it's probably gonna play out okay, I would guess, or like generally okay. Some people probably die, but you know, it's Game of Thrones. Yeah. People die all the time. Uh but <laughs> but yeah, like I'd be curious if they force the issue there and I wonder if if we're gonna have to see Ghost get involved in some way because there's yeah. that that was just a really weird interaction between John and the dragon. 
Yeah, yeah. Where the hell is is Ghost? Uh, I agree. The John and, and the Dragon. They're, they're they're teasing an upcoming rift between John and Danny for for several reasons. It could happen. So maybe maybe Drogon's like, hey, I know you might be thinking. I, I guess at that point he didn't know about you know the whole Tarly thing and the whole fucking his aunt thing. You know. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it could happen. So that was another thing that really stood out to me was not only the reveal of Sam telling John who his parents were, but the way that he did it, he kind of led in with this story about his family dying at the hands of Daenerys and kind of testing John's kingly decision making, like grilling him about what he would have done with Randall and Dickon Tarly. Like, would John have spared them? I just thought that was a really cool way to impart the weight that is going to fall upon John if he's going to take up the crown. Like, if he, if this is something he wants, those are the types of decisions he's going to have to grapple with. And I just thought that was brilliant the way they did that. That was really cool. Seriously, John's very fair-minded. There's a lot of things with Danny with the Mad Queen possibilities, burning people alive, um, like disregarding Tyrion when he said, "Hey, maybe take the black," you know, between Dickon and 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 uh, Randall. And uh, yeah, I agree. And there's, I don't know, it's weird because there's so many like free passes they could give out to these characters just to just be like, "Oh, John and Daniel figure it out because they love each other and because Targaryens have." intermarried before within the family so maybe that's not weird to them but at the same time like it it seems too convenient too simple to kind of explain stuff way like that like i'm wondering if we are going to see an actual rift between john and danny like there's that one prophecy where the last hero had to like plunge a flaming sword into (laughs) his lover's heart and that'd be great i don't know like i think think we might get there we'll see uh last thing that stood out to me was Bran in general and not the interaction with Jamie at the end of the episode but kind of something tangential to that where when Sam finds out about his family about his father and his brother being burned alive by dragons he goes to like walk out of the castle or whatever have some me time and Bran (laughs) essentially is waiting at the gate and he stops them and Sam's like what are you doing out here like why are you just sitting out here in the cold and Bran has this line where he says, I'm waiting for an old friend. Yep. And I think the straightforward reading of that is that he was waiting for Jamie, right? The guy who pushed him out the window. Yeah. But, I mean, if he's waiting for Jamie, did he really have to be out there that early? Like, tr- in truth, <laughs> Bran was out there waiting for Sam. And does yeah. that mean that Sam is actually the old friend that Bran was referring to? And I'm wondering if that implies that Bran can somehow see into the future at this point as the Three-Eyed Raven. And perhaps envision a future in which Bran and Sam are going to spend a lot of time together, becoming old friends, maybe writing the history of the realm, kind of documenting what's gone on and and what really happened in this world. Like, I think there's a lot of speculation that Bran's going to die this season, but it would be really cool to me if Bran and Sam kind of move forward as, you know, these guys who tell the story essentially and impart that story to us, the viewers slash readers and, I don't know. I, I I just thought that that waiting for an old friend line seemed yeah. really on the nose at first, and I'm wondering if there's more to it. What do you think? I, I like that. I like that theory. Uh, I I like the idea that uh, that Samwell is the one writing the story, the Song of Ice and Fire, the more poetic story. Um, so yeah, I could see Brandy because he could tap into the future. He might he might know that Brand is going to be one one of the only guys that keeps it out, uh, that makes it out alive. And uh, I would love to see that. Uh, Bran and Sam uh, growing old and being a nice little buddy cop duo. <laughs> being a little like Maester Aemon and, and uh, Egg. Egg! <laughs> Egg! <laughs> I tripped. I was old. <laughs> All right, man. Do you got anything else that you want to talk about just in general about the last episode? Or do you want to move on to our next character to die draft? Let's do it. 
All right, so to recap, last week uh, we each picked one character who we think is going to be the first character to die. Uh, Jeff took Yara Greyjoy. He had the first pick. I had Dolores Ed of the Night's Watch. And it's going to snake back to me with the first pick in this round. By my accounting, the only named character to die in episode one was mm-hmm. Ned Umber, the kid who got pinned to the wall and then lit on fire by Beric Tondarian. Oh, man. I should have known that I mentioned in the last episode they're going to take down the last hearth. Obviously, Ned Umber was going to be was going to die. I, I should have known that. But yeah. I mean, you were ahead of the game, and you failed. So Yeah, uh, I know. I failed miserably. And Yara looks like she's going to live forever, so it's okay. But with that with that in mind, we're going to move to the next next round of picks. Uh, we're going to pick two more characters. And you still have Yara on your team, and I still have Dolores Ed on my team. So yes. if one of those guys is the first to die, then you're, we're going to score points for that. But uh, I get to yeah. pick first this round. I'm going to go with Yara's brother, Theon. I think Theon... No. At this point, I, I just think he's going to die at some point in this final season, and so maybe it happens sooner than later. Just I, kind of reading the tea leaves, looking to what I think is going to happen in episode two, I don't know if we're going to see any key characters necessarily die right away. I have a feeling a lot of that stuff is going to happen in the third episode and beyond. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, but Theon's my pick, and you're welcome to yeah. make uh, a worse pick than that. <laughs> I make a worse thing now. I'm gonna win this. I I'm in it to win it. <laughs> All right. I thought you were gonna snipe me here. Uh, you were on the right page last week with Dolores Ed. I think there's one guy that's obviously gonna die. He's gonna die soon. You're right. There might not be be anybody that dies in, in episode two because it's gonna be a lot of preparation for this upcoming battle in episode three. I am going. Don't say torment. No, oh, no, no. Torment's great. Him and his blue eyes. No, he, he he's good. He's got Phew. some plot armor. <laughs> I had to wipe some sweat off my brow there because i don't want him to die he's one of my favorite characters i need him to oh, stick i love him so bit. much <laughs> he's so good um uh, um so uh who i'm gonna pick is uh eric dondarian he he's uh he's already died six times but he doesn't have the red priest to take him to bring him back anymore i think Beric is a, a dead man damn that's a good pick i should have picked him you're right i should have stopped you, you i thought you're gonna pick him i thought if you were gonna pick him i was gonna take another great joy i <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I guess you have the first pick in the next round, so you can give that information away. But uh, thanks for yeah. uh, spoiling it for me. Yeah, I know. Oops, spoiler. I might change it. Euron might just die next. I don't know. Euron might be pretty good. Euron might be backstabbing Cersei soon. I feel. <laughs> I mean, he keeps he keeps on alluding to like, yeah, I might just uh, you know sail somewhere else. You know. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely one of the hardest characters to figure out. I actually really like his involvement in the story for that reason. Is we don't totally know what his motivations are like he talks about wanting a queen but it really seems like he doesn't give a fuck about anybody and i think that makes him a really interesting and dangerous character in terms of which direction he could go he's kind of like the new little finger to me where i mean i don't think he's like as calculating as little finger but he is the type of character that he's in the tyson zone to you know, to borrow from bill simmons like he could do anything and i wouldn't be surprised uh what are, <laughs> what other predictions do you have or theories do you have specifically for episode two uh what we have on on deck here um and try not to lean too hard on the coming next week stuff that we saw after episode one yeah i think um that that jamie and bran reunion that's gonna be a big thing uh, coming up between jamie and daenerys i I think i bran i mean uh, what we were talking about before i think his his old friend is jamie he was talking about jamie he was there overnight i mean the guy was just chilling overnight waiting for jamie uh he saw jamie in the morning I feel like he's going to thank Jamie for making him the Three-Eyed Raven. Jamie's the true hero of the story, by the way. <laughs> so I think he, he knows Jamie's entire story arc. And uh, yeah, Jamie forever, man. 
I think Jamie's going to add to that book of accomplishments too. And I also like they, they tease it a little bit, but uh, Jorah, Jorah has heartstained. Yeah, that, I mean, that was one of the obvious ones that I wrote down just because we have to talk about it. But um, and yeah. actually, my other prediction is very similar to yours. I think that it's going to be Bran and not Brienne as the person who kind of gets everybody else to buy into Jamie as a, a character they can trust. Uh, because it's going to be really hard to sell most of these characters on admitting another Lannister into their ranks. And it's going to have to come from somebody who's you know, distinctly on the Stark side of things. Like, I don't think it can be, can be Brienne. I don't think it can be Tyrion. But I think that Bran can make that case that, you know, look, Jamie is a, a good man. And what he did to the Mad King, like, there yeah. was intent there and, and, and reason for it. And, I, I, yeah, I'm curious to see how that all plays out. Because it looks like they're all just kind of hanging out in the Great Hall of Winterfell. Right. You know, having yeah. not necessarily a trial, but kind of grilling Jamie Lannister. And I'm curious to see who takes his side and who is, is really, you know up against him like there are some obvious candidates of course but i think it's going to be bran as the person yeah. who ultimately makes the case that that people that sells people on jamie yeah the starks are going to they're going to want to kill jamie right away and i think bran they're going to listen to a true stark and bran has the internet he could just tap into all of the future uh, and all of the past and uh yeah jamie saved five hundred thousand people in king's landing you know he's he's really it's been a lot of lose-lose situations for him and he's uh generally it took the better of the two uh bad uh, scenarios, outcomes. <laughs> yeah, I think that is one situation that could make Daenerys a little bit more of a sympathetic character to the Northerners is if she is so anti Jamie Lannister because, you know, <laughs> I don't think most of the people in the North like the Kingslayer. And so if Daenerys goes hard at him in that scene, then maybe that turns more of the, you know, Stark supporters onto her as a potential ally. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she, she's uh, the one person that's never going to judge, you know, just like uh, John said before, she's never going to judge the offspring of a madman, you know? <laughs> so I think yeah. she'll see his side of the story. Let's finish it up with some long-term predictions and theories for season eight, like beyond episode two. We, we did this last time. We're going to keep doing this. But has anything come to light that's changed your perspective on what you think is going to happen this season? A little bit. What was that, that, that this glare, that, that glance that uh, Bran uh, did to Tyrion? Uh, Tyrion's up to something. He, like Sansa said, you, you used to be the, the cleverest man I've never ever known. I think Tyrion's about to betray Dan Danny. I don't know. I think he's intentionally screwing this up because Tyrion is the cleverest man in the show. And I, I don't know. Something's going on. They're going to have to wrap this whole Tyrion storyline up. So yeah, I think Bran knows something's up with Tyrion. Right, and we can look back to the last episode of Season 7 as well for that weird scene on the boat where he looks kind of discouraged. We talked about that on the last uh, podcast. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think something's going to happen there. I mean, Tyrion was definitely under consideration for my next-to-die pick. Like, I think that we might see him get offed kind of early yeah. in the season, which would be Maybe a shock. Episode. Yeah, it would be yeah. crazy. But, I mean, I could see it. That would be really wild to me. Um, I, I have a new weird prediction, and... Yeah. I think that we are eventually going to see the Golden Company's elephants in Westeros. Oh, man. I think that they're going to spring some sort of secret double-cross attack at some point. Because they've yeah. built this up so much. And they made such a point to make it a joke in the first episode. Like, I, I hope it's not just a joke. You know what I mean? I hope it's one of those things where Cersei thought she was getting elephants. They make some excuse about how they're not able to bring the elephants across the sea when in actuality they are. And the reason they didn't show up with the, you know, the primary force there is because... They're planning some other sneaky move because 
from previous episodes, we know that the Iron Bank supported the slave trade. So maybe they have some other bigger goals about defeating Daenerys, perhaps maybe even like trying to take over Westeros themselves and rule, you know, the entire continent as, you know, with the Golden Company and as the Iron Bank or whatever. And they could install some puppet leader or what have you. But I think that those elephants are still in play, despite how the first episode made such a joke out of them. What do you think of that theory? Yeah, man, I love that theory. Why else? Two times Cersei mentioned the word elephant. Game of Thrones doesn't waste time like that unless it's stupid for it's for uh, Ed, Ed Sheeran, who got his uh, eyeballs blown off, by the way, which is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I fully agree. They don't waste time. They mention elephants for a reason. Uh, I want that to happen. Uh, I would love it. I know the Golden Company hasn't been to Westeros in many, many, many years, and they have some uh, some shit to settle. So, uh, yeah, I love it, man. That'd be great. That'd be great. That's the one thing that, that brings Cersei down. <laughs> totally. And that's kind of the way I see it playing out is they they might be just as likely to double-cross Cersei as they are to double-cross Daenerys or anybody else. Like, And because they have Targaryen lineage in the Golden Company, like that makes them potential allies to Danny as well and to Jon. So, yeah, yeah I, it, I just it, don't see... It seems like a red herring to me that, oh, the elephants yeah. just aren't going to show up. I don't buy that. And you mentioned the, the Valonqar prophecy in our last episode. Gold will be her shrouds. Holy fuck. I just realized that right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe there's yeah, some so, other younger brother. Like, is Harry Strickland somebody's younger brother? Probably. Sure. I mean, we yeah, know Euron is, looks, so. Yeah, Harry looks like a season one Jamie, so maybe he's just a young Jamie. <laughs> all right, man. Well, that's all I got for uh, this episode. Uh, is there anything else you want to hit on before we wrap things up? No, I think I'm good, man. I'm excited for episode two. Yep. Uh, so listeners, once again, if you have any uh, theories to contribute or uh, comparisons to NFL players, GMs, coaches uh, with Game of Thrones characters, feel free to hit us up with those on Twitter. Uh, you can hit me up at Greg Sauce. Jeff is on there at JeffD119. Yeah, really excited for episode yeah. two and, and really the whole season. Like We're going to keep doing this every week uh, through the end of the show. And hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, give us any feedback, uh, write reviews and ratings of the podcast on iTunes. That would be great. Subscribe if you haven't already. And until next time, we'll catch you then. Adios. Adios.